This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast. It's Matt Larkin here, brought to you by Mark Bergevin's hair. And I'm with Ryan Kennedy and Ken Campbell back from his vacation. Welcome back, Kenny. Stephen lurking as always. And we know what we have to talk about to start this podcast. It happened overnight. If you were able to stay up late for it, triple overtime, the Oilers lose three straight overtime games. They get swept by the Winnipeg Jets. And I know it's still a fresh wound of your Oilers fans, but we have to talk about it. We have to talk about what do you do with this team? What went wrong? So Ryan, I know you wrote about the Oilers today on our website. So I want to give you the floor first. Take us through your thoughts on what happened and what do you do with this team going forward? Well, yeah, my main point was that I, I don't think you need major surgery in Edmonton. Uh, I, I think when you get swept and you are a favorite, especially the way the Oilers dominated Winnipeg in the regular season, there is the tendency to overreact a bit. And I know Oilers fans have been extremely patient throughout this rebuild. Um, but I, I equate it to sort of a lower level Tampa losing to Columbus where it's like, okay, these things happen. Now the Oilers are far behind Tampa Bay, obviously, but they do have two of the best players in the world in McDavid and Dreisaitl. Um, I think Darnell Nurse is a number one defenseman now. Um, the fact that he played over an hour last night in ice time uh, <laughs> certainly equates that. He had one shift that I think was almost five minutes long, which was crazy because there was a whistle at one point. Um, but obviously, you know, the Oilers' defensive depth was gravely exposed, particularly in game four, where Slater Kukuk and Ethan Bear hardly saw the ice in the second half of the game. Um, having said that, you know, if Oscar Clefbaum can come back from his shoulder surgery, that's a real stabilizer right there. And then you've got Evan Bouchard, who probably could have played in this series, frankly. I know a lot of Oilers fans were wondering why he didn't, but he's a great young player. So I expect him to be a regular next year. You've got Philip Broberg on the way, who can be a shutdown guy, has great size and mobility. Um, and he's got some offense to his game as well. So I think with defense, if you were going to do anything in the offseason, it would be to bring in, say, an Alex Goligoski or, you know, a David Savard, if you could. Now, the Oilers have a lot of, um, I guess, cap issues because they have a lot of free agents to consider. So it's hard to say how many moves they can make. But the other area is obviously goaltending. Um, you know, despite the fact Mike Smith made some banana saves, uh, in game four, he, he just wasn't good enough in the series and he's 39 and he's the UFA. So he's not the answer. Miko Koskinen is not the answer. He never was. Uh, that was sort of a little Peter Chiarelli goalie bomb just before he was fired. And they don't have anybody in the organization that I would see as a sure thing. They don't have a Spencer Knight, you know, Stuart Skinner. I think there's some potential there but you certainly wouldn't toss him into a seven game series and say, please bail us out. So for me, I'm, I'm wondering if Edmonton looks at like a Tuka Rask or a Peter Morazic, uh, you know, two guys who are going to be UFAs this summer, two guys who have, you know, Rask hasn't lost his spot yet, of course, uh, because Boston is going for it. But with Jeremy Swayman there, you sort of say to yourself, okay, well, how much longer would, does Tuga want to be in Boston knowing that he's probably not going to be the starter 
you know, if not next year, then the year after that, maybe he's looking for, you know, a new spot where he can still be the guy. And with Morazic, it's very much, the, you know, even more dire where Nedeljkovic, it's, it's his crease right now. Uh, but Morazic is still fairly young and he's a guy that can steal you games. He can get hot. Um, so that's sort of direction I could see Edmonton going because they, they obviously need somebody back there that they can trust long-term, you know, somebody who has made a run in the past. Yeah, I, I actually don't think this was uh, in any way akin to Tampa Bay losing four straight to Columbus um, on either side of the equation. I don't think that the Edmonton Oilers are anywhere near what the Tampa Bay Lightning were when they got swept. And I think the, I think the Winnipeg Jets are a lot better than the Columbus Blue Jackets were when they swept uh, Tampa two years ago. Um, you know, I mean, you don't want you don't want to do any sort of knee jerk stuff because it was, you know, a, a really weird series. It was a really close series. But um, I think the Oilers, you know, you know, Dave Tippett talked about these growing experiences. Right. And this is what this is. This is a growing experience for this group. And they better they better heat it, um, you know, because if because the status quo in Edmonton now is not acceptable. You know, they may have. They may have, and I'm not saying they have, but they have may have frittered away the best year of Connor McDavid's career. You know, it may not get any better than this mm-hmm. from here. Um, you know, I mean, history tells us that this is the time <laughs> of a guy's career when he peaks and when these elite players peak. And now it, it might not be ever as good as it was this year. And it wasn't good enough. It wasn't close to good enough. And I think what the Edmonton Oilers have to learn and have to take from this is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have the two best players in the world. It just doesn't matter. It doesn't like, like Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin couldn't do it themselves. You know, Sergei Fedorov and Steve Eiserman couldn't do it themselves. You know, Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messier couldn't do it themselves. Um, you have to have some players around you that can be counted on in situations. You know, they don't have like, Where's their Adam Lowry? You know, where is their Andrew Kopp? Where is their Paul Stastny for that matter? You know, I mean, I guess you could say Ryan Nugent Hopkins is their Paul, is their Paul Stastny, but he sure wasn't in this series. You know, in the last game, they got, they got a goal from Nugent Hopkins. They got a goal from Chason. You know, that was when sort of the, the, the secondary scoring started to appear. And to me, I mean, to me, this is, this is, you know, you cannot sweep this under the rug as, oh, gee, it was, you know, we had some bad luck and we ran into a team that was really motivated and hot and, and they got us and they got great goaltending. No, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. I think Ken Holland, you know, he says you can't go for it every year. This was the year they should have been going for it. This was the year they should have signed Jacob Markstrom. This is the year they should have gone out and got somebody who plays Oscar Clefbaum. Because then, you know, now you've got Darnell Nurse averaging 40 minutes a game. I mean, you know, that you can't have that. You've got, you know, I mean, and then I look on the other side and Logan Stanley is, you know, their fifth defenseman and he's playing great for them. Meanwhile, they can't even put Slater Cuckoo and Ethan Bear on the ice, you know, in, 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 in these long sort of games. And then Darnell Nurse ends up playing an hour <laughs> and averaging 40 minutes a game. So I think there's really got to be some soul searching here done mm-hmm. by the Edmonton Oilers, who they are, <coughs> excuse me, what they are, what they want their identity to be excuse me just a sec <laughs> ken's choking on his own <laughs> really rage. worked up about this um you know and all of that but i also think <clears throat> man, 
also think, there's one thing I also think, <clears throat> and it's going to be good. Just wait. <clears throat> I think Connor McDavid has to take some of this on himself. I know that's not going to be a very popular uh, opinion, but his body language, anytime anything bad happened, was horrible in this series. In his defense, when something good happens in life, his body language is all Yeah, 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 I agree, I agree. <laughs> but, but you know what? Like, suck it up, Buttercup. Stuff happens in the playoffs. Adversity happens. Sometimes life isn't always fair. And you know what? You got to live with it. And you got you to gotta be better and try harder and, and not be such a sourpuss, you know? Like, to me, he's, to me, he's got some maturing to do here, and I hope he's done it in this series. Because... To me, every time something bad happened to that Oilers team, you know, and maybe it's not fair that the camera pans to Connor McDavid every time, but like his body language was horrible. Whenever something like when when Winnipeg scored to tie it up, like he might when they when they panned him on the bench, he might as well have said, "Okay, that's it. We're done. We're out. It's over." You know, I mean. So to me, I think there's a lot that this organization has to do. I think you look at re-signing like I don't know how you give Ryan Nugent Hopkins a raise first of all I have no idea how anybody could ever justify giving Ryan Nugent Hopkins more money than he's making now to me I think you sign him and then you look to deal him and you start getting in some of these guys and I'm not saying you know you got to go out and get a bunch of Blake Coleman's and Barkley Goodrows but you got to have some and you've got to have some guys like a Paul Stastny you know like guys who have been there done it know what it's like to do it and know what it's like to live through adversity and be able to, to power through it. Because I thought the Edmonton Oilers in this series, they laid down way too easily, way too easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you make some good points, Kenny. And I, I agree with with most of them. I don't I don't land in the same spot on McDavid. I think that McDavid isn't the problem, even though the body language is bad at times when he's having a tough time. It's weird because this series was sort of a microcosm of the Oilers season in a way. You look at if you look at the data, the shots, the shot attempts, all that stuff, you think, oh, well, the Oilers, they controlled the play in this series. They were pretty dominant. They were unlucky. They hit a hot goalie. Connor Hellebuck had a 950 save percentage. But it's like, did the Oilers control the play or did Connor McDavid control the play? Because in the regular season, with Connor McDavid on the ice, the Oilers, the ice was completely tilted in their favor. They had way more chances than their, than their opponent. With him off the ice, they were actually negative differential. That's how big the discrepancy was. So to me, the problem for the Oilers going into the season, during the season, in the middle of the season, at the trade deadline, going into the playoffs, what's the knock on the Oilers? They have no depth. What did Ken Holland not get at the trade deadline? Depth. And I'm talking about depth at four because, Ryan, like you said, Oscar Kleppbaum's coming back. It looks like Adam Larson will be re-signed. You have Philip Broberg coming. You have Evan Bouchard coming. You had a great year from Darnell Nurse. So I think overall, the defense core, and I think that overall team defense, it improved this year, I would say. And a lot of people try to knock McDavid for his, his defense. I saw some of those takes out there. I don't agree at all. I think he improved his defensive play dramatically. The problem is you're depending on McDavid and Dreisaitl. Like you said, Kenny, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, very disappointing year when it happens to be his contract year. Kyler Yamamoto took a big step back. I did not expect that to happen. He was really good last year on the line with Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins. So suddenly the depth, it completely disappeared. And, you know, it's a tough situation because the Oilers, they're not swimming in cap space. $22 million on paper looks good, but Kyler Yamamoto, RFA. Adam Larson needs a new contract if you want to bring back Nugent Hopkins. Those three alone are going to take up a lot of the money. And to me, it's like you look at guys like Broberg or Evan Bouchard. I don't know whether you have to consider trading one of them because, as you guys were alluding to, 
it is win now time for the Oilers. You cannot keep wasting these prime years. You have to get aggressive. You have to put your foot on the pedal. You don't want to end up with the Jack Eichel situation. You don't want McDavid sort of becoming Eichel and what's going on in Buffalo. It's not that bad, but it could get that bad. So to me, you have to look at the free agent market. You know that Sam Reinhardt is a guy who wants to be traded out West. I'll get into that later with one of the listener questions. Zach Hyman might be available. Jaden Schwartz. I think you need to go and get two of these guys, not just one, two of them. Maybe Taylor Hall, but it looks like he might stay in Boston. But either way, if you're Ken Holland, put the pedal to the metal. Go and get two legitimate top six forwards. Fix your depth. And then I think the Oilers will be fine. Goaltending, I agree that, you know, Mike Smith's not the long-term answer. He wasn't half bad this year. If you really want to kick the can again with him, maybe you go Mike Smith and you sign Yaroslav Halak to be his tandem partner. I'm not sure. But overall, goaltending wasn't the Achilles heel this year. It was depth. And I think that is the number one thing the Oilers need to fix. Um, continuing our sort of uh, obituary section of this podcast, let's do the Washington Capitals. So they bow out pretty easily. Boston Bruins, great team, but the Caps, they've been formidable in recent years as well. And they lose in five games. Some of the games were close, but overall, you know, out without a great fight, I would say. So I know, you know, we've talked the last few years about teams like Chicago and Pittsburgh. You kind of could feel when the roller coaster was trending downward, when they were reaching the beginning of the end of their peak. So I'm wondering for you guys, is that where Washington is now? Is this sort of the end of their main window? And are they going to start going down denial lane where they're sort of like a middling team? So, Kenny, we'll start with you. Is the window open or closed? Oh, I think it's slammed shut. I think it's slammed shut. And I think the Washington Capitals have reverted back to what the Washington Capitals were before they won the Stanley Cup. They tease you. They, they tease you. They, they get really hot at times. They have good runs, you know, and, and all this other stuff. And, and, then, and then reality hits in the playoffs and they're done. And we all say, damn it, they fooled me again. You know, I think that's where the Washington Capitals have started to um, – have started to kind of become again. Uh, yeah. I mean, what, what do they have? 13 guys, 30 or over. I mean, you know, <laughs> do the math, right? Like it's, it is like, it, you can see it right there. Just go down the roster and look at the birth years. And yes, it's, it's slammed shut. You can't win with that many older guys. And to me, I don't know. I mean, another probably hot take that everybody's going to hate, but Ovechkin. It's, I don't know how you do it, but it's got to stop being about, is he going to pass Gretzky? Is he going to score a million goals in his career? Is he going to do this? Is he going to do that? Like, he's not there to do that. He's not supposed to be there to do that. He's supposed to be there to help the Washington Capitals win the Stanley Cup. And when he gets 40 goals and 14 assists, I don't know that that's helping them that much. It's helping him and it's making him a great all-time goal scorer in the history of the game but I don't know how much that actually helps the Washington Capitals so to me and I don't know how you do it if I'm the Washington Capitals first thing I'm doing and if I'm Alexander Ovechkin first thing I'm doing is putting the brakes on all of that stuff and I think the smartest thing Alexander Ovechkin could do is come out next year and say I do not care where I end up in goals this year. I couldn't care less if I passed Gordie Howe, Wayne Gretzky, or their totals combined. Couldn't care less. If I get 18 goals this year and we win the Stanley Cup, I will be the happiest man alive. You know? So that, to me, is part of part of it as well. Hmm. See, I look at it as a, a different way. I, I think that the window's 
at least temporarily shut. I feel the Capitals need to have a bad year because they need to replenish a bit. They do have some good players coming up. You know, Connor McMichael had a fantastic AHL season because the OHL year was canceled. Um, you know, Hendricks Lapierre is on his way up and, you know, he's played very well this year in the Quebec league. Goaltending uh, let them down this year. Ilya Samsonov uh, was not ready to carry the water. He's a fantastic goalie, um, but he doesn't have a lot of NHL experience and he, he needs more time. You know, maybe it's as soon as next year, but it wasn't this year. Vitek Vanacek did what he could. Uh, but again, uh, an inexperienced goaltender. I mean, and they even had to bring in Craig Anderson in the playoffs due to injuries. Um, and, and obviously Craig Anderson is not the long-term answer either. So, you know, they need some maturing from their goalie core. I, I think the potential is there. So I don't think they need any movement. It just <coughs> takes time. Um, you know, Anthony Mantha looked great uh, coming over at the deadline. I think that's a good fit. But to me, it's the defense. Um, I, I'm okay with Ovechkin scoring 40 goals every year because he's playing a more complete game now than he had, you know, early in his career. Um, it's, it's never going to be a Patrice Bergeron kind of game, but it's, it's serviceable enough. But when I look at that decor, they're missing that Matt Niskanen guy. They're missing that guy to settle it all down. Right now, they've got some talented players that just – run around in their own end and it's it's not going to work especially when you have to go through a team like Boston in the playoffs and you know with divisional realignment you know if it's not Boston it's going to be the Islanders uh, or it's going to be you know the Penguins Um, so or it's going to be the Rangers who knows you know Washington is going to have to have a better defense core in the coming years and they don't have a lot of high-end prospects there so it, it's probably going to take a trade to make it happen. Um, but again, if they took a step back next year, if they got like a lottery pick, and I don't mean top three, but I mean, you know, top 15, even top 10, I, I don't think that would be a terrible thing. I, I think you're, they're going to lose a veteran to Seattle in the expansion draft, but they're still really talented. And, uh, you know, guys like Backstrom and Ovechkin and Kuznetsov, uh, you know, Kuznetsov's obviously younger than the other two, but you know, they, they've still got miles on them. I just think that they need a season where, heck, it, they might even miss the playoffs. And I, I think that's okay. I think they could use that sort of restart um, and, a, and a bit of a tweak to the core in order to maybe try one more time, sort of a surprise run. But right now, I wouldn't put them in the upper tier in the East. Mm-hmm. I think I'm maybe slightly more optimistic than you guys are um, only because it was such a strange season. And I do think the Capitals were a little bit unlucky. They had, you know, Ovechkin, Ilya Samsonov and Kuznetsov go down with COVID early in the season. And for Samsonov, it took him a long time to get his rhythm back. And then you have it happen a second time where Kuznetsov, he gets it twice. Samsonov goes on the list twice. Ovi was banged up down the stretch. John Carlson was banged up down the stretch. So all of your best players, their schedules were so thrown off. There were so few games all year when you had a full healthy Capitals lineup and they kind of limped into the postseason. It was especially apparent with the goaltending where you just couldn't get a rhythm. And, you know, obviously Samsonov had the gaff on the overtime goal. And it was just sort of the story of the series, a team that I don't think was that it's full stride going into the playoffs, which is why I actually picked the Bruins to win the series in five for that reason. But to me, if you look long-term, it's like, okay, well, maybe you're going to lose. <laughs> you're going to lose. Uh, Ken's going to get a thumbs too. up. Yeah, I picked five games. games that's right. Nailed it. 
Didn't nail the Oilers pick, though. So, you know. <laughs> um, but obviously, a lot of people are wondering uh, whether TJ Oshie is going to end up being, you know, the first capital of the Seattle Kraken. If that happens, that's also freeing up a lot of financial space, which is good because Ovechkin's going to, you know, obviously eat up a good chunk of change between him and Nicholas Backstrom. Call it $20 million, give or take, that they're both going to eat up. But if Oshie's off the books, you know, you do have Anthony Mantha, part of the long-term top six. You have Conor Michael, like you said, Ryan, who has pretty strong potential and maybe he's going to get a long look in the NHL next year. The Capitals need him. And if you do lose that Oshi cap hit, maybe you have a chance to dip into the free agent market. It's a pretty robust market for defensemen. There's pretty much every type of defenseman you want is available depending on just the category. If you want rugged, it's Adam Larson. If you want superstar defenseman, it's Dougie Hamilton. If you want puck mover, it's Tyson Berry. So there's sort of a great shopping list available this summer. And the thing about the Capitals most of their team is actually locked up. You have Chara leaving as UFA. Uh, and maybe you're going to lose, you know, you're going to lose somebody in the expansion draft. Maybe it's Oshi. But overall, most of the core is still there. So I, I think this team, I definitely think, you know, they've passed the peak, but I could see them having one more decent kick at the can next season. And then after that, if they fail next season, then it's time to sort of wave goodbye to this era. But it's interesting, Ken. I like your question about Obi and just, you know, chasing the ring. It's like to me, I, I don't know if it's guaranteed that the answer is is wanting another cup it's like if you're Ovechkin do you want two Stanley Cup rings or one Stanley Cup ring and the goals record I don't know yeah I kind of want the one and one yeah well and when he was going when he was one goal away from whoever was it Yager or I I don't know one of these ones he was chasing he was a goal away and he didn't score for about eight games and they were terrible they were terrible in those games so anyways Yeah. yeah good point good point uh, so the Bruins, if we trace them back to the Taylor Hall trade, including the playoffs, if I did the math right, I think their record is 16-4-1 since they got Hall. They make pretty short work of the Caps, as we just discussed. So I'm curious for you guys, are the Boston Bruins, you know, they, they are that team that peaked late, peaking at the right time. Are they the team to beat now in the entire league? Are you still looking at Colorado because they just annihilated the Blues? Are you still thinking Tampa, even though they're in tough or another team? So Ken, we'll start with you. Is Boston a legitimate Stanley Cup favorite, the team to beat? Where do you land on that? I think they always have been. I, I, I think they always have been. For a lot of this year, they were among the best teams in the league. Um, so I, I always thought they were they were that. Um, you know, it, it doesn't, like, shock me that they beat Washington. Um, it shocks me they beat them in five. Uh, but it doesn't shock me that they beat Washington. They've got a bunch of guys who have been there and been through every possible iteration of the playoffs, winning it, losing it, losing it when you were supposed to win it, losing it in the last minute of the game, you know, everything they've, they've done it all. So they've been there, they've done that and they know what it takes. So I, I, yeah, I absolutely think they are uh, a legitimate Stanley cup contender. Um, Tampa. I'm, I don't like the way they're playing. Um, I mean, they're really getting sucked into the, into the stupid stuff in this series um, and partaking in it willingly themselves. And really like there's been games where it's like the way these two teams are playing, neither of these teams is winning the Stanley cup, the way they go up and down the ice and let chances fly everywhere. So, um, you know, I still like, I really like Colorado a lot more now than I did halfway through the season when I thought what's going on with these guys. Um, And I'm going to throw another one in there. I look at the Winnipeg jets Ooh. And I see, do, do you guys not see like sort of the Los Angeles Kings circa 2012 when you look at the Winnipeg Jets? 
I can see some of it. Yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think the Jets so, might be more talented up front, but I can see some yeah. similarities. Great goaltender, yeah. especially too. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that there's that. And uh, yeah, no, I think, I think Boston has been, you know, since the trade deadline, they've probably been the best team in the league. Um, you know, and, uh, people remind me on Twitter, probably every time Taylor Hall gets a goal or an assist that I basically <laughs> said he was going to have minimal to no impact on his new team. So, uh, he's making me look like an idiot, which uh-huh. is, which a lot of times is not difficult, but he's doing a good job. Of it. <laughs> there you go. Never tweet, Ken. Never tweet. That's, that's always the uh, rule. Uh, I, I think Boston is certainly up there. I wouldn't call them my favorite. I think there may be a favorite to go to the final, but um, much like Winnipeg, the defense still makes me a little gun shy when it comes to the Bruins. You know, they got Charlie McAvoy. He's obviously their number one, much like Winnipeg has Josh Morrissey, who has been fantastic so far in the playoffs. But after that, you know, I worry about the depth. I worry about the experience of the guys that are on that blue line and what happens when the games get even harder. You know, this is the first round we're talking about. What happens in round three? What happens in a potential Stanley Cup final? So for that reason, I'm a little shaky on the Bruins, although I, I do think they could go to the final. Um, for me, it's still Colorado and, and Tampa Bay, because when I look at those lineups, I, I don't see any glaring flaws structurally. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, with Tampa Bay, they're playing a super motivated Florida Panthers team that let's face it, has been disrespected for a decade now. And now they are finally getting their shot to take on their, their state mate and prove that they can hang with the lightning and they're doing it. Uh, So full marks to the Panthers there. And it, you know, it might turn out to be great for Tampa Bay, unless Florida wins the series, then it would be horrible. But uh, you know, adversity is kind of a good thing. And then you look at Colorado and they're just, they're rolling. I mean, they've got it all. Um, you know, they've got Nathan McKinnon, they've got Kale McCarr, they've got Philip Grubauer, they've, they've got all the elements they need. Uh, so for me, those two teams are the most, uh, I, I guess they're the safest contenders in my mind right mm-hmm. now, Boston and like Carolina teams like that are the ones where you say, yeah, they, they could do it, but I'm not as confident. Right. Right. And it's funny with Colorado, it's like, they were so dominant in round one that I'm kind of like, is it them or are the blues just that bad? Because the blues never got in a rhythm all year. They were injury prone. They kind of just scratched and clawed their way there. So I, I almost don't have perspective, perspective of how good Colorado is yet with Boston. I'm definitely a believer. And I think this is a different identity even than other recent Boston teams, because if you look at the scoring, I have these stats out there. I think I probably mentioned it on the playoff preview, but you know, the way that the Bruins, the percentages of, of offense change, right? The piece of the pie, the second line now almost scores as much as the first line. They're just so much more dangerous with the Taylor Hall line and Craig, and Craig Smith. It's totally changed the team identity. I still agree with you, Ryan, about the long-term questions. It's a bit of a ragtag decor. Not, not, it's, it's not terrible. You know, any, any group that has Charlie McAvoy, Brandon Carlo on two different pairs, it's nothing to sneeze at. But, you know, there are still guys like Jeremy Lozon and Matt Grizzlick. They're, they're playing maybe a little higher in the lineup on any given night than you might expect. Um, so it's a good but not great group. I actually think to me, the Lightning, I'm not a, I'm not willing to say that they're, they're not the favorite yet because – Florida's a good team. They just got a tough draw. The Lightning got a tough draw in round one. They, they sank lower in the standings because they didn't have Stamkos and Kucherov. Stamkos down the stretch, Kucherov the whole season. So they play a much tougher opponent than the other 
teams were talking about did. And it's, you know, it's, that's why it's a tough series. Also, maybe, you know, if it weren't for Spencer Knight, maybe that series is over. So overall, I'm not that worried about Tampa yet. Yes, they're getting into the rough stuff, but they have been one of the least disciplined, disciplined teams in the NHL. I think three or four years in a row, they're always near the top of the league in penalties. It's just kind of who they are. And that's why it's important that they have a good penalty kill because they just can't stay out of the box. It also makes them, you know, willing to play that grinding dirty game is on, on top of the finesse. And I think long-term, this is still a team that's getting its rhythm back because you haven't had Kucherov and Stamkos in the lineup. So everybody's sort of playing slightly differently in, in the forward group than normal. So I'm not worried about them overall. I think Tampa's still the team to beat, especially because eventually if Tampa and Boston meet each other, Tampa's in Boston's head. It, it's pushed through Boston a couple times in the past several years, right, in the playoffs. So I don't know if Boston has figured out how to solve the Lightning franchise just yet. So I'm, I'm still leaning Tampa. Uh, let's talk Vancouver Canucks. It was, and you know, you can make a case. Vancouver's right up there with the Buffalo Sabres for the most cursed franchise in the history of the NHL in terms of just high profile disasters. Um, a lot of people would say Vancouver's number one. And of course, you know, the horrific COVID scare this year, playing the schedule all over the map, huge long layoff forced to play these kind of humiliating, meaningless regular season games at the end of the year. So everything that went wrong could go wrong for the Canucks. They bought them out in the division below Ottawa. And, the Canucks have stated that GM Jim Benning, he's going to get another chance next year. So I'm curious for you guys, is that warranted? Do you think he does deserve another kick at the can because it was such an unlucky season or is it time for a change? Ryan. Yeah, I'm willing to give him one more year. And, you know, Elias Pedersen, I think he played 20, 21 games. Um, That's a big part of it on, on top of everything else you already mentioned. So, I mean, he didn't have his best player for, basically half the season, if not a little longer, you know, you look at the mistakes that Benning made in the off season, obviously they should have signed or re-signed Tyler Toffoli. They should have kept Chris Tanev. Uh, Those were the big mistakes. And I, I feel like, you know, being part of the end of the year media conference call, I think Benning's been humbled a bit. You know, he, he recognizes it was, it was a disappointing situation, a disappointing season. And he specifically mentioned that they are going to be aggressive when it comes to not only trades and free agency, but buyouts as well. And obviously when you look at the Canucks roster, you know, they spent $86 million on salary this year. I think that was fourth in NHL and granted, you know, guys on LTI, you know, sort of, bump that number up a bit, but for one of the worst teams in the NHL to be paying the most money in the NHL, obviously something's a whack there. I think Benning has kind of seen the light now and says, okay, well, I, you know, I thought some of these veterans could help out. These contracts were obviously mistakes. It's, it's far past time to rectify that. When you look at what's left, You've got Patterson, you've got Quinn Hughes, you've got Thatcher Demko, Bo Horvat, you know, Niels Hoglander had a great rookie season. Vasily Podkolzin's going to get signed very soon. So you're going to get him into the mix in North America. They've got a lot of dynamic elements. They've got a lot of great young players. You know, they've got a coach that they seem to be, you know, he seems to be simpatico with Benning. Uh, Benning likes how Green uh, has worked with the young core. So it feels like they're set up for a better season next year, assuming everybody's healthy and they can ice their full lineup and, you know, they, they get a little more um, contributions from guys just, you know, maturing internally. So I, I'm willing to give him that mulligan, but 
this is it. If it goes pear-shaped again, then, you know, you definitely have to look at uh, rebuilding the front office. What day is the first, what day does free agency open this year? I can't even remember. July 28th. July 28th. Okay. So if I'm Francesco Aquilini, the owner of the Vancouver Canucks, I'm going to tell Jim Benning. Yeah. Okay. You're back next year, Jim. Thanks a lot. Good job. Go, go get them at the draft and get us a bunch of good players like you've done in the past. And then on July 27th, you're going to take your vacation for the <laughs> summer. You're going to turn your phone off. You're going to go far, 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 far away to like another continent and you're not going to come back until training camp opens. Okay. How does that sound guys? Sounds great. <laughs> because to me, hearing Jim Benning say, we're going to be really active in free agency. If I'm yeah. a fan of the Vancouver Canucks, I am crapping my pants. <laughs> I'm crapping my pants hearing that. I'm sorry, but you know, like to me, I mean, we know the drafting has been very, very, very good. The player procurement on the trades and free agency side has been very, very, very bad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so to me, I've seen, you know, I've been around a lot. I've seen a lot of good young guys come up the system and they're great identifiers of talent. They're great scouts. They can really see these kids, you know, they can project who the 18 year, what the 18 year old's going to be like in five years. And, and they, they're great drafters. And then they get into the job and they suck at it because they can't do it. They're just really good scouts. And I, I'm wondering if that's not sort of the, the Jim Benning thing here is that he's a really good identifier of young talent, but I mean, come on, how many mulligans do you get? Mm -hmm. Like Louis Erickson, Jay Beagle, Tyler Myers, you know, Tanner Pearson instead of Tyler Toffoli. Like how many do you deserve? I, 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 I guess it's okay that he's coming back, but I certainly as a Vancouver Canucks fan, I wouldn't have been the least bit shocked, surprised or upset if they had said time to go. Yeah. And, you know, it's going to sound harsh, but I even wonder, you know, are you giving Benning too much credit just for the young player side? Because, you know, we know that for a while it was Jed Brackett making a lot of those decisions. And, you know, there's been whispers. I've heard them that there are certain high-end players that the Canucks drafted that Benning did not want to draft. And there were some internal strifes and he was leaning toward other players that would have been worse selections. So it's like, do we know that all these guys are even credited to him? So I agree. The best part about the Canucks, everything that's homegrown is great. Brock Besser, Quinn Hughes, Elias Pettersson, Thatcher Demko, the list goes on and on. Put oh, Colson, yeah. everything looks great there. But do we know that any of those, those fingerprints are from Benning? You know, Bo, Bo Horvat, it wasn't because that was before his time. I believe the Demko pick might have been before his time as well, if I'm not mistaken. Either his first draft or the year before. He came on with the Canucks in 2014. So it's like, mm, which parts of these of this team are the parts that Benning definitely influenced? Is it? Mm, yeah, it's all the bad parts. It's Louis Erickson. It's it's the extension for Tanner Pearson instead of re-signing Tyler Toffoli. It's Tyler Myers. It's extending Brandon Sutter. That's Benning, 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 Benning. So it's like, I... I know he's been given a mulligan and to me, it, it's almost like all of the misfortune might've actually saved his job because there's something to blame it on beside him. But I would love to see someone like Jeff Gorton get this team in his paws and see what he could do with it. Because as far as I'm concerned, all the problems with the Canucks are most, most likely the things that Benning was most involved in. So I don't know. I, I, I think it's a mistake to bring him back and all due respect, you know, that's just how I feel. Uh, let's do some mailbag questions. First one is from James Tubb. 
Jane wants Jane, Jane. <laughs> There's no one named Jane except for uh, Buffalo Bill and Sounds of the Lambs. Right. Um, do you think there will be a review of all NHL officiating and player safety this offseason? The refs and DOPS have been under more criticism than ever before. Could we see any changes to the head of officiating and other executive positions? I think if we're going to see some audits, it's going to be more less about personnel. It's going to be more about rules. Um, you know, I did have some discussions with the league fairly recently just to understand if they're doing this crackdown and cross-checking kind of like slashing a few years ago. I was told that it's not going to be that serious, but I was told that, you know, there was a lot of reviewing of footage and sort of reinforcing it with the officials, kind of trying to get a better understanding of what cross-checking is. So I think we could see a little change there and how it's called. I think, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of GMs speaking up about goaltender interference after the season. I personally don't have a problem with that. I actually don't think it's that hard to identify a lot of people. You know, you see all those tweets. What, what, what does goaltender interference even mean? I don't agree with that. It's pretty easy. It's if the guy bumps the goalie in a way that prevented him from stopping the shot, that's goalie interference. If he bumps the goalie in a way that didn't prevent him from getting set, it's not. To me, it's not very hard. So I don't know for, for sure that we need to see a change in goalie interference. If we're talking personnel, the one name I keep an eye on is George Peros. I don't see the NHL removing him from his gig because that would be, from a spite perspective, you can't, you can't throw that bone to the New York Rangers. But I do wonder if someone like Peros would consider eventually just going on to greener pastures because historically it's not a job with a long shelf life it's a stressful job it's hard to sort of be the dark knight of the league getting all this blame pinned on you for everything all the time a lot of vitriol from fans and we know stefan can tell he didn't stay in that job for too long he, he's technically still in the department as an advisor but he he stepped away from the figurehead role so I, i'm not saying this with any insider knowledge i'm just saying it's a reasonable thing to speculate that people just don't stay in that head job for more than a few years at a time. So I couldn't, I wouldn't be that surprised if Peros decided, Oh, I'm going to do X or Y instead. And we're going to promote someone else to the job. Uh, but Ryan, what say you on this? Do you think we're going to see any major changes? No, I think if anything, we'll see just some sort of tinkering and maybe some clarification. I think in the off season, I wouldn't be surprised if the NHL, you know, talks to the GMs and the you know, board of governors and competition committee and says, okay, game management for referees. Here's what we would like to see, you know, just sort of a consistent message uh, because we have seen a couple of coaches in the playoffs already complain about uneven calls. And to me, it's like, well, yeah, like we don't, we had this comp conversation. This, there was a whole controversy about even up calls. Like we don't want that. I mean, you want it if you're on the wrong side of it, but we want the game called properly. We don't want this game management. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if the NHL looked into that and sort of clarified their position and sort of set out what the expectations were for officials so that everybody in the league is on the same page. But I don't see a lot of major uh, work being done. I think James Tubb was an intern with us, wasn't he? He was. A good yeah, one. He was. He was. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, good guy. Good guy. Nice question, James. Very cute question. Very, very cute little question. Adorable. But it's adorable that you would think that that even is going to happen, James. I, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm kind of happy about your, your naivety about this and your optimism because no, 
Because no, absolutely not. They're not going to change a damn thing because they like the way the game is, is going right now. They like the way it's being played now. They like all the, the culture of violence that surrounds it. They're not going to change a thing. You know, last night on Hockey Night in Canada, the panel sat there and looked at penalty after penalty after penalty after penalty that didn't get called. And they sat there and what did they do? They congratulated the refs for not calling it and letting them play the game. And that attitude is pervasive in the front office because it's run primarily by ex-players, not all, but it's, it's in the league headquarters, it's among the GMs, it's among the coaches, it's among the fans, it's among the, uh, many of the media, it's among the broadcasters. They like it the way it is, they want it the way it is. I, I do not see one single thing changing. Okay, uh, we'll do two more questions before rapid fire. Next one is from Naftali Clinton. Naftali wants to know, what do you see the Florida Panthers doing about their goalie situation, having Bobrovsky on a huge contract, Chris Drager, Spencer Knight in the fold? It's a tough one. Um, it's kind of an, it's kind of a good problem to have, like the fact that the Panthers number two and three goalies have been this exciting. It's overall, it's kind of a, a nice problem. Problem is with that Bobrovsky contract, it's just there's five years left at 10 million, I believe, right? And who in their right mind is going to take that? And Bobrovsky, you know, you could make a case at best. If, you, if the Panthers made a trade and ate half the contract, even at $5 million, is Brodsky been a $5 million goalie the last couple of seasons? I think that's debatable as well. And he's had trouble staying healthy as well, and uh, this year at least. Um, but it's tough. So because of that, because of the fact that I don't think you can move Brodsky, you obviously Spencer Knight's going to be part of your, your battery. So I think it's probably going to have to be Bobrovsky and Knight. And then Chris Drager, it's like he's been great, but I just – He's a UFA. I just don't know how you can bring him on as your third goalie. I guess theoretically you could sign him and just knowing that the pan that the Seattle needs to claim someone. So he, they could claim him, but I don't really see the point of that either. So I think it's gotta be Borowski Knight just dictated by the money. And then you hope that Knight gradually overtakes him, which I think he will. That's sort of the long-term plan. But until, as we always say, we've said this a million times, it's not about money. The contracts aren't problematic because of money. They're problematic because of term. And if Bobrovsky had like two years left, you could move that contract. As is, I, I just think it's a, it's a taller order. So I think it's going to be Bobrovsky and Knight as the tandem next year. What say you, Mr. Campbell? Well, the Florida Panthers drafted Spencer Knight with their first round pick in, in 2019 on June 21st. 10 days later, they signed Sergei Bobrovsky to the deal that is killing them killing them that deal is killing them um i don't see any i don't see any option other than to buy them out i just don't see any other option other than to buy them out and if you do that you got them you got you, you do that knowing we are on the hook for 5.8 million dollars the next two years 6.8 million dollars the three years after that and 1.8 million dollars for five years after that we are going to be paying for this for 10 years if we do this for 10 years, but I think you do it. I think you do it. I, I don't, I don't know why you draft Spencer Knight and then, and then sign Sergey Bobrovsky in the first place. I, I don't, I don't get that. I, I mean, it was one of those ones where everybody was saying it was going to happen and it, it was the easy one to do. So they went out and did it and it's been a disaster. It's been a complete disaster for them. Um, so they, you know, I mean, I don't know. Do you sit, go to Sergey Bobrovsky and say, look, we know you have a mo no move here, but we want to expose you and we want to do a deal with, with Seattle to take you um, or else we're buying you out. 
you know, you can get all your money in the next seven years, or you can get it over the next 10, two thirds of it over the next 10 years, your choice, you, you control the cards here. And then you say to Vegas, we'll give you Owen Tippett and our first round pick to take Bobrovsky instead of somebody else on our team. I don't know. Maybe you do that. Then you get into a whole other host of problems. Like we saw happen with a lot of teams that did stuff like that the last time mm-hmm. around. Um, but to me, I mean, does anybody really think Sergei Borodsky is going to all of a sudden start getting better again? I don't. I don't. I think he either you either buy him out, you convince Vegas somehow to take him, or you have the most expensive backup goalie in NHL NHL history on your hands for the next five years. Yeah, I actually think you go with that last option uh, simply because. Chris Dreger, you would love to keep him, but Matt, I think you're right. I think he would be perfect sort of Seattle bait. Uh, whether you re-sign him in Florida and expose him, because you have to expose a goalie, um, or you just, you know, Seattle does have that window where they can negotiate with pending free agents, and then that guy, if they sign him, becomes the, uh, the claimed guy from that franchise. So uh, to me, it just sort of makes sense because – Spencer Knight's here, you know, and, and he's already proven that he can be um, a difference maker on this team. I think Florida has a benefit in that somehow they have that Bobrovsky contract on the books and it hasn't uh, hamstrung them elsewhere. I mean, they've built up a fantastic roster and they still have some great young players coming up who will be on entry level deals. For example, Anton Lundell, who is currently starring for Finland at the World Championship. I think what you do is no one's going to take the Bobrovsky contract. I mean, I've, I've asked. Um, no one's yeah. going to take it, <laughs> uh, especially $10 million. Maybe if you take some of the salary, then you kind of figure it out. But again, Matt, the, the term is, is quite prohibitive. So I think what you do is you roll with a Knight Bobrovsky battery with the understanding that Knight is your guy in the playoffs. So, you know, you get Knight uh, the starters minutes, but at least he gets a lot of rest where he can put in Bobrovsky and he can still have a good game here and there. And you're good enough that, you know, you play Bobrovsky against Ottawa and Detroit and whatever. Um, but you at least wait a couple of years until that term comes down and the cap goes up because then 10 million is, it's still bad, but it's not, as bad you know when it's one eighth of the salary cap versus say one ninth um so i mean the fact that florida is really good right now i think speaks to the fact that they can they can survive uh and obviously chris reger deserves a lot of credit for getting them where they've they've gotten to but there's only one crease and spencer knight is the guy right now and he'll be cheaper for longer uh because he's an entry-level guy so I think you just, you roll with it as long as you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you make really good points there, Ryan, about the cap as well. And, and the one thing about Bobrovsky, it's like, I think you see a scenario where, you know, by the end of next season, Spencer Knight will be eligible to sign an extension. And that's when, you know, if he's playing really well, his contract's going to go up. So that's the time to trade Bobrovsky. He'll have less term left. And what you, you hope is that he has with less pressure, maybe playing less, has a really good year next year. And then a team can trade for four years of Bobrovsky at $5 million per year. And it might be somewhat reasonable, a reasonable undertaking. Think about Bobrovsky. It feels like he's finished. He's, I believe, six years younger than Mike Smith. Just let that sink in. Mm -hmm. So one more question from Matthew Boeinger. 
what does a realistic Sam Reinhardt trade look like? Well, I wanted to pick a Western Canadian team for this one because we know it's been reported that Reinhardt would like to go back out West. So I'm going to say the Edmonton Oilers, because as I said earlier, they really need another top six forward. So the tricky part is that means you can't include someone like Yamamoto. I don't know whether you have to sacrifice someone like Puliyarvi that has some upside left, but ideally I'm going to say a first round pick and maybe someone like Raphael Lavoie, or maybe you have to, kick in a defenseman like Philip Broberg or Evan Bouchard. And then you get, maybe you get Rasmus versus the line and backs. So you get a veteran body. Ideally, I wouldn't want to do that if I'm the Oilers, but so I think my offer would be first round pick and Raphael Lavoie. Maybe they counter with uh, Dylan Holloway, but I feel like that might be too much for Sam Reinhardt. I don't know. Uh, so yeah, Lavoie and a first round pick is my offer. What about you, Ryan? That's hilarious because Lavoie and a first rounder was my exact same concept for Edmonton. I, I kind of looked at two teams um, because if you look at Sam Reinhardt, he was Buffalo's top scorer this year. He's only 25. Uh, he's versatile. You know, he can play center. He can play wing. And I think, you know, hopefully GM Kevin Adams learned that, um, you know, in the Taylor Hall trade, obviously he sold low and didn't get the return he should have. I think, you know, if you're, if you're Adams, when you're negotiating team with teams, you have to say like, look, I know we were awful, but you also know that these players are better than they were on the Sabres this year. So Reinhardt, you definitely get a first and a solid prospect. Um, you know, as another example, you know, the Calgary Flames, if the Calgary Flames thought Reinhardt would be a good fit, then you say, We'll give you a first rounder and either Connor Zary or Jacob Peltier, you know, someone in that range. Uh, I, I think that would work where if you're the Sabres, obviously the first rounder is, is you know, fan, it's a fantastic asset. But then you get a prospect who's almost ready to join your team or, or possibly even could next year. You know, Lavoie played over in Sweden this year and was very good. And he's a big body and he can move well. So I think, you know, if you're Buffalo, you could probably find a spot in your roster for him very soon. Same with Peltier. I think he's the kind of guy that, you know, could, could make the jump sooner than later. And I, I think that's what you want if you're the Sabres is, you know, you, you got to get something tangible in return for one of your best players and, and you know, a player who is still in sort of his, his prime window. Oh, damn. You just, you just unfrozen for most of your answer. You looked like this. <laughs> I was going to tell producer Steven, get a screen cap of that. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think that the Buffalo Sabres, uh, you know, Kevin Adams is in such a pickle here with this because he can't afford to mess this up. Um, he can't afford to have another Ryan O'Reilly situation. Um, I, I was thinking, you know, don't be afraid to, expand your mind and trade him in the division like Montreal I think watching the game last night and the last little while is their, their future lies with Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield full stop that that's it I mean those guys are the future of that franchise I would like to see Sam Reinhardt as a part of that too you know maybe as a line I know Caulfield and Reinhardt are both right wingers right if they play wing, yes, uh, maybe you can get Reinhardt on the left side. I don't know. Um, but you know, what about, you know, a Cole Caulfield to Montreal for Kotkaniemi, Romanoff and a first, because uh, it's going to take, it's going to take a huge haul for Buffalo. They, they've got it. They cannot screw this up. They cannot 
get another return like they got for Ryan O'Reilly. They have got to get something that they can go back to their fan base and say, yeah, look, the guy who was our best player last year, the guy who played really like the, he was the only guy that give a, that gave a damn all year. Uh, we're getting rid of him. Uh, if you're going to do that, you got to come back with something, something big. All right, good. I like the proposals. Well done, gentlemen. So we're going to finish it off at the rapid fire game. Kenneth is the host. So we'll say, uh, Ryan, you answer first. I answer second arbitrarily. Okay. Let's do it. William Nylander, overpaid, underpaid, or paid just right? Underpaid. Yeah, underpaid. He does a lot more than people give him credit for. Give me 60 seconds with any boomer, and I will sell them on why William Nylander is underpaid. I'd say he's paid just right. He made a lot of money up front in that contract, and now he's making less, but I'd say he's paid just right. Um, okay, you have... One punch, one punch that you can give. You've got the Harvey's guy, the Harvey's guy, the Sportsnet guy, or the guy who says he wanted a diet, a Pepsi, no Pepsi zero. Which guy do you haul off and drill first? I'm going Sportsnet guy. And it's, I throw the punch as soon as he says, did you know I did improv at Groundlings? Because I guarantee, I guarantee he would say that. Okay. <laughs> I feel like that's the best answer, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to zag and say the Harvey's guy, and it's, it's nothing to do with him. I just think Harvey's is the most overrated fast food chain. I've said this before. It doesn't know whether it's fast food or barbecue. It tries to sell itself on being like a grilled barbecue taste. So then it's just bad barbecue. It's not as good as what you could do in your backyard. It's not a fast food burger. It's just bad barbecue. So to hell with you, Harvey's. <laughs> Just bad barbecue. I, I got to go with the sports night guy for sure. And maybe maybe an outside uh, outside shout out to the ShamWow, ShamWow guy. Maybe go <laughs> a little bit. Um, okay, let's see. Who would you rather be? Who would you rather be? Paul McCartney. And I know, the, I know your answer to the question, Ryan, because I know how you feel about the Beatles. But who would you rather be? Paul McCartney or Wayne Gretzky? Ooh. You know what, though? I'm going to say Paul McCartney because he's still universally beloved. Um, and I mean, like every, you know, like Wayne Gretzky is the best player in hockey, which is a sport that a lot of countries know. And he's probably the only player a lot of people do know. But like Paul McCartney's worldwide and like he can do anything and people love it. So, I mean, that's just, that's just, I mean, yeah, that, that, you can't turn that down. See, I, I can, and I will, even though Paul McCartney's my favorite Beatle, I think, you know, the rock star life must be amazing. But if you think big picture, if you're Wayne Gretzky, you, you could go, you could go, you go to a movie in like Miami and you're not going to get mobbed. Paul McCartney is famous for life everywhere he goes mobbed through obviously the early part of his career. And he's still someone that will be recognized wherever he goes. He'll never have a normal life. Whereas Wayne Gretzky in retirement, I feel like can have some degree of normalcy day to day. He'll still get a, approached a lot. Of course he had the celebrity life, but I still think he also has more freedom to go about his business and not be mobbed every second. So I think if you're thinking pure lifestyle, you're still the man, you're still Wayne Gretzky. You're still the best, the best who ever lived but you also have a little more freedom to have a normal life, I think. Yeah, and plus you you uh, you played hockey <laughs> and you won the Stanley Cup four times and you were the best player like 10 times and you've got 
all the all the all the offensive records in in the world and yeah so anyways that to me is that to me would be i think better than even better than being part of the beatles um okay see this one i was i came up with and then we had the sergey bobrovsky conversation but it was going to be what you know you you can fire one contract into the sun one existing contract into the sun Mm. and i want to know which one you would which one it would be yeah, I mean, it would it would have to be Bobrovsky. That's the that's the one that comes to mind most frequently. Hmm. 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 I'm trying to think. Is there another one that's that's taken on water really quickly? Um, it's funny. I, I'm going to say, even though it's not a bad contract at all right now, I think he's great. But Nicholas Backstrom, in a few a few years, it's it's a long term deal, and it's like yeah. what is it nine million? So as he starts to age, that's suddenly going to take on a lot of water. So future, not current Nicholas Backstrom, but Nicholas Backstrom in a couple of years, he could be fired into the sun. <laughs> and uh, and with me, it's it's definitely Bob, without question. I mean, they would they what what, what Florida wouldn't do for a do over on that deal? I I have no idea. But anyways, that's it. That's for me. That's it for me. All right. Excellent, Kenny. Especially loved the McCartney-Gretzky question. That's it for this week. We'll be back next week for more hockey talk and maybe some more obituaries of other eliminated teams. Thank you for listening and watching. Thank you for listening to the Hockey News Podcast. Make sure to check out THN.com slash subscribe to get issues of the Hockey News Magazine delivered right to your mailbox.